This is episode number 15. Represent what you believe in with Samantha Futterman. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohi, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of adoptees and foster care members who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Ads Podcast. Today's guest is someone whose story will absolutely blow you away. She was adopted from South Korea and raised in New Jersey. She has starred in multiple movies, including a documentary of her own, Twinsters, in which she documents her reunion with her sister. Tune in as we talk about how to succeed in the entertainment industry, the secret behind chasing and achieving your dreams, the importance of failing, and why we all need mentors who don't have all the answers but can help us find them. Without further ado, please welcome Samantha Futterman. I figured that the best way we could start this off is by having you share a little bit about your story, your background, uh, why you were adopted, you know, where you were born and things like that. Yeah, sure. So um, I was adopted at four months old from South Korea and my family uh, that adopted me lived in New Jersey. So I grew up in Verona, New Jersey for the majority of my life until uh, I went to college in Boston and then eventually found my way out to Los Angeles. Mm, nice. What kind of impact would you say adoption has had on you to this day? Adoption has had a huge impact on my life. I mean, it, just to go back and think that without adoption, where I would be in this moment is pretty pretty crazy to think about because I've been given such an incredible life and opportunity um, with my family and I've just been able to realize how much I'm grateful for in life, but also I think every day I'm just reminded that there's so many things to be thankful for and just so many people that I can connect with, Uh, whether it be my own family, uh, my sister, my sister's family, or even just other people that I meet that are also adopted. I met someone in the alley the other day (laughs) who was adopted too, and it was um, a really great experience. And now I know that we have something to talk about every time I see her. And, and that's, um, that's pretty great too. I've, I've made endless connections, but I mean, yeah, yeah every in every way possible, it's really changed me, especially, um, I found my identical twin sister and she, she, um, is a huge part of my life. And ever since then, adoption has been even more prevalent, I guess, on my everyday kind of radar in a way, because without the adoption process, without this, I probably would never have found her. And it's just, I mean, it's crazy to think what if, if we weren't adopted, Uh we would have grown up together, but maybe the conditions would be really poor and we wouldn't, um, and not necessarily in a financial way, but but poor in the sense of um, maybe a lack of love or a lack of family. And that would be 
pretty devastating. But now since we were adopted and we got to grow up in, in really great homes and environments and now we can be together and be really happy in our adult life is pretty incredible. But since I found my sister, especially adoption has been on my radar every single day and it's, it's been really rewarding and amazing. Positive. Adoption has always been a positive thing for me. When did you first, I'm curious to know, when did you first um, want to kind of go back and learn more about your past? You know, I'm talking about your birth family, especially. Was that something that kind of sparked when you got into college? Or is that something that you always known? And then the other part of that question was, why did you get adopted in the first place? Sure. So, I guess if, if I start with the second question, why was I adopted in the first place? My parents, um, when they met in college, they were talking to each other and said, you know, I always wanted to adopt a child. And um, they both agreed on that. So it was always in their plan to adopt the child, which country uh, it was going to be from. They had no idea yet. But, you know, someone came to the town and our house and looked around and said, you know, someone of Asian descent would probably be really good here. And they said, OK, great. Well, um, they looked into the South Korea program. You know, there was no internet back then, so they couldn't just mm-hmm. look it up online. So, they, you know, my dad drove around the city looking for adoption agencies and finally landed on Spence oh, Chief. Wow. Um, yeah, which is really wild. It's super funny. So, um, but yeah, they, they ended up on, on, um, on South Korea and then they did opt for a girl, which I didn't find out until, you know, if, when we started doing the documentary, which was a few years ago. <laughs> so I didn't find that out until I was an adult. They said, we didn't care which sex the child would be, female or male, either way. We knew we'd love you either way. But then as an adult, uh, my parents said, you know, we, we had two boys and we were going to adopt a child. <laughs> we had a choice, so we went with a girl. I was like, that's okay. I'm okay with that, Mom. <laughs> but yeah. So that's why they wanted to adopt. They, it was always just um, kind of in their plan. But... And then can you remind me of the first question? <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I just I wanted to know when did you have the, I guess, when did the curiosity start of you wanting to find your real family? Because I know you had mentioned the fact that you guys actually did a documentary, uh, Twinsters, if I'm right. Mm-hmm. And um, when, when did that first start for you? When did you say, okay, I want to find out everything I can about my birth family? And I'm assuming you ended up going back there and reconnecting with them. Yeah, so I guess growing up, I was always kind of curious to think, oh, well, maybe I have a sibling out there. Maybe there is another human that kind of remotely looks like me. Because even just seeing other Asian people on the street, no one ever really looked like me, never looked like they could be my family. You know what I mean? So I was always kind of curious about that. And I thought, wow, what a world that someone could be living um, somewhere else in Korea and be walking around and we'd look the same. Maybe she has freckles. Little did I know that my sister, my identical twin sister would show up one day, but, <laughs> but I always thought it would be cool to, you know, have another family member. Um, and then in college, I got a pamphlet from my adoption agency, Spence Sheep, and they were doing, um, homeland trips. So they were taking adoptees and their families back to Korea for the first time and you can go and you have the option to go and search for your foster parent or birth parent as well and you could go and you know we traveled the whole thing we went started in Seoul and all the way down to Busan and came all the way back up and it was a pretty unreal experience um but that was my first curiosity said you know do you want to find your foster parents I said absolutely 100 percent was no question and then they said you know do you want to try to do a birth search and I thought well 
I don't know if I'm ready, but yeah, I guess I'll, I'll check it off. And, you know, I went to Korea and we looked through some papers and I didn't really have too much information that I didn't already know necessarily from just some documents or whatever it was, but nothing really, um, crazy came up, especially not, I had no idea that I had a twin sister out there you know, it just said you were an only child and maybe there was an older sister or something like that. And then I think maybe eight months later, Mm -hmm. it might've been shorter than I got a message from my identical twin sister who had seen me in a YouTube video (laughs) on the internet and she sent me a Facebook message and yeah, we did, we documented the experience. It's, uh, it's called Twinsters and it's on Netflix, but, um, it kind of encompassed all of that, but it, it was, it was really wild to think that, you know, as an adoptee, you think, well, someone else out there gave birth to me. So someone else is like me in the world. Little did I know it was going to be more of a clone than anything Mm -hmm. else. But yeah. It's funny that you say that because I had, I had a similar experience. I, when I first came here at 12, you know, I was able to keep in touch with my family, um, Mm -hmm. back home, but (laughs) I had a miscommunication with my parents and when my parents had mentioned the option that, you know, we should think of other ways to call Russia because clearly, you know, making calls from a cell phone or landline wasn't the least expensive option. <laughs> so what I would, and that's what I was doing. So what they really meant was, you know, let's start using things like Skype. And I had thought that, okay, stop blowing up the bill and stop calling. So I had stopped calling them for six years. Mm-hmm. Six, six years of just, you know, just no contact, like things wow. were going great. And I was staying in touch. And all of a sudden, like, boom, nothing, they wouldn't hear anything. Wow. So when you had mentioned the fact that, you know, your sister contacted you, my sister did the same exact thing. And yeah. when, when <laughs> I still remember that, you know, that call six, six years later, and, you know, she was crying and telling me how, like, she was just, she didn't know what was going on. And so one of the things that I've been trying to kind of understand, and I haven't been back there yet, is what what was that experience like when you first met them? Because it's it sounds like it's, you know, there's nothing you can do here to simulate that. So for, you know, for those that, that may be in the process of putting together a trip of their own, what should they be aware of? I know that it sounds like a, huge roller coaster ride um of emotions like is there anything that they can do on their end to kind of be aware of certain things i mean you know it's i don't want to attribute this to what i'm about to say but it's kind of i don't know i'll just say it you know it's funny it's like online dating right like you think you have this idea of this person because it's in a total virtual space but you talk all the time and you feel like you really know them and then when you show up in person that all still exists, but you're finally seeing them in the same room. And then you physically have to know how to be with each other. You know what I mean? Like, do I hug you? Do I not? Do I say how far can Mm -hmm. I come into your personal space? You know what I mean? So that kind of stuff that, that was really interesting. When we first met in person, we had been talking for a month and a half, I guess, or um, February, March, April, two months almost. Yeah. Almost two and a half almost three months by the time we actually met and it was um crazy to be in physical contact for the first time but it was so it was one of the most exciting exhilarating feelings I've ever felt I've never felt more in the moment 
in my whole life. You know, you can think, oh, well, what is it going to be like? What is it going to be like the whole time and try to anticipate it, but you just can't. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of fun to be able to allow yourself to just be there and experience everything. And it feels like everything at the exact same time, but <laughs> it was um, one of the best feelings. And, you know, then 45 minutes later, we were holding hands, walking down the street and it was still weird. It still got, it, you know, we had to get used to it, but it was pretty incredible to felt like a honeymoon we were on, you know, <laughs> just hanging out and spending so much time with each other. And it was a really, really great experience, but it's amazing. I- yeah, I mean, probably a lot of that was because we spent so much time getting to know each other via Skype and text messages and all that kind of stuff, too. It's, you know, like right now we're talking and we're not in the same place. It's a pretty amazing thing to be able to communicate with someone that's halfway around the world, even if you feel like you don't know them, you do, you know? Mm-hmm. How, are, how do you maintain the language? Are you practicing that on your own? Um, you know, did you t- take courses in college? Like how... How did you start that process? Um, my sister, I'm very lucky. My sister is fluent in English. So wow. she's okay. French, but she's fluent in English, almost beyond fluent. She's got an incredible vocabulary, probably because she watches a lot of uh, TV. But um, I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. I'm trying to learn French, but it's very hard. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult language, but I'm, I'm definitely trying um i'd love to be able to speak to some members of her family who are who don't speak english um that's a goal of mine for sure but i am pretty lucky because because i didn't have to do so much on that front that's do you, sp- do you speak russian all the time um i do i don't anymore i actually majored in russian translation so when i was a sophomore in high school i started taking classes uh, russian classes at michigan and, um, you know, it's, it's funny that I look back at it now because supposedly when I left Russia at 12, I had told my sister, my birth sister, that I was going to become a translator and come back and save them. Now, when I came to U.S., that vision just slipped out of my mind. You know, I, I didn't have a single thought about it, but yet I still continued on that track subconsciously I would take classes and um, my parents my adoptive parents they don't speak Russian so I wasn't able to practice that much at home so like right now when I uh, stay in touch with her with my sister it's a little bit difficult for me to communicate certain things because I just don't know you know how to express it in Russian Mm. and if and if I were to start typing in English then you know she wouldn't understand so it's kind of that gray area where I'm trying to, I think it's more so on me. I'm trying mm. to pick up the language than it is on her to learn a completely new language. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's a process. Um, you mentioned quite a bit about the documentary and nonprofit. So I figured, you know, let's start off by um, telling us a little bit, a little bit about Twinsters and how they came about um, and where it's going, because I, if I'm c- correct, it's is it a two part or a one part series? It's a one, yeah. It's just a full length documentary, one okay. one time. And it was essentially just covering your experience. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So it follows kind of um, starts at the moment when I figured out that I had a twin sister because my sister sent me a message, and then it just follows our journey um, through meeting each other for the first time and. Um, 
also our first trip back to Korea together. So it's it's quite fun. It's the entire journey over, I guess, the first year of our relationship from start to start. Mm. What do you? What would you like to accomplish with it? What was the purpose of it besides kind of um, documenting your journey? Right. I mean, it was always really exciting because we thought, you know, a lot of people would connect on a level, I guess, not only just adoption, but reconnecting with people that um, you might have lost or never knew that you had. And one of our main goals was to express that, you know, family has no boundary, that you can find love and family anywhere you look for it, and that there's room in our lives and in our hearts for as many people as we choose um that it doesn't have to be you know life doesn't have to be so black and white it doesn't have to be only have one mom because in our case we don't we have many (laughs) many of them but i guess um, more so than just telling this story because we thought that it would be exciting for people to learn um we wanted to connect with the adoption community as well and be a voice in the adoption community um especially in a positive way because you know, there's there's a lot of adoption stories, of course, out there, and and many of them are um, are sad, mm-hmm. and and um, a lot of the voices that we heard growing up were um, not so positive. But we had a really positive experience with adoption, and we wanted to share that for sure. And Jenna Ashwitz too, who came on, she was an executive producer and a producer on our documentary, and. She had a positive experience of adoption as well, and and she was on the same page. She really wanted to share that too. So that was that was very important for us. How did for, you guys How did you guys find each other? Jenna and I. Mm-hmm. Jenna and I found each other because uh, we actually grew up acting together. <laughs> so side by side, but we didn't we didn't know each other well. We weren't super good friends or anything, but we saw each other all the time and you know we'd show up to auditions with our white moms and it'd be funny because you're like oh it was this we had a camaraderie you know like i under i understand you and i accept you you know what i mean without having mm-hmm. to explain anything we didn't have we never talked about being adopted I and mean, we really didn't we just showed up and it was it's nice to not have to talk about that you know i think um that's pretty much how how we knew each other and we grew up knowing of each other for a long time and then when the when I found out about my sister I reached out you know we had the same uh, agents as well the same representation and entertainment so I reached out to my agents and I said you know can you uh, send a message to Jenna I'd love to talk to her this crazy thing just happened to me and like absolutely and Jenna said yes whatever huh. I'm doing it <laughs> let's do this so what are the and, chances and, and, yeah exactly and now she's one of my closest friends I talk to her all the time so it's it's been really great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, she told me a little bit about your guys' nonprofit and her involvement with it. But I wanted to hear from you um, as far as what, you know, the vision behind it, why it was started and where it's going within the next couple years. Exactly. I mean, Kindred was started because we both said, you know, Jenna started the document and said, what else? What else do we do? And I said, you know, I've always wanted to start a foundation. She said, me too. I was like, okay, let's do this. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we, we didn't know. We were definitely way ahead of ourselves, um, but it, it was the right time because we knew we had to launch it with the documentary and just start getting eyes in that way. And, you know, we wanted to be um, kind of a blanket foundation, the first stop for anything adoption and to be able to have people come to us and express whatever they want to express, whether it's they had a bad experience with adoption or they had a good experience with adoption, all voices are accepted in our foundation. And we wanted 
everyone to know that there's a place and that you're not alone in the world. And um, again, we kind of took our our um, thoughts from the documentary that family has no boundary. Um, and that was kind of the goal. And, you know, we've, we've kind of been re- going back and rethinking about what exactly we want to do and how we can fit in and how we can help the adoption community and be kind of a good tool in it. And we're still trying to figure that out. I think, um, it's definitely moving ahead. We'd love to have a support system, um, where people can tune in anonymously or not anonymously and, and talk about all things adoption and just know that you're not alone in the world and that there's someone else out there who may agree with you and can be, you know, Mm-hmm. one in the same I mean that's that's the most important part for us and we're working hard to develop a system a support system we we had an idea and we kind of modeled after um, the Trevor project which has a really really mm-hmm. support system um, and we're looking at other organizations like that that aren't necessarily in the adoption community right now and we're trying to figure out how follow their good example and and try to create that for our adoption community too and um, hopefully in the next few years we can bring a lot of people together i mean that's the goal um whatever it turns out to be and i think it will be ever evolving once we you know put stuff out there figure out if it works or if it doesn't work and hopefully we can bring a lot of people together that's great that's good to hear that's one of the things we're actually uh, planning right now is an event for June 23rd here in Austin, Texas. And the event is going to be called Hear Me Now. Mm. And the purpose of it is to allow other adoptees and foster care members to further explore their story. So I'm glad I'm glad that you guys are, you know, sounds like taking a similar approach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. it'd be great to work together too. It'd be great to know more about that project because um, Jenna and I, if we're around, it'd be great to go. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I want to jump back to your passion. Um, I, and before we start there, I actually want to say, I think I saw you when I, I remember watching a movie called 21 and Over. Yeah. <laughs> Were you, so you were in that movie. Okay. I was. I was just making sure I wasn't making anything up in my mind. <laughs> no, I was. Yeah, I was in Twenty One and Over. What what was what was your role there, and how how did you how did you get that role? Um, I actually just auditioned for that role, like any other casting day. I went to the casting office and auditioned for it, and got the call that I got the job. Um, it uh, I played a agitated young woman in the dorm room (laughs) (laughs) and they come and knock on the door to try to find out who Justin Chan where he lives and I don't have an answer for them but I kind of help them I guess a little bit but (laughs) um but yeah that was quite a fun role actually it's funny that movie had a lot more um there's a a lot of connection in that movie that kind of led me to where I am today. So Justin Chan, who's the lead in that movie, he and I ended up taking the same crew van back to the hotel and said, oh yeah, you want to go out for a drink? And I said, yeah, absolutely, let's go. So he and I went out for drinking that night and we kind of, you know, we became really great friends after that. We were bonding, bonding over being Asian American in the entertainment industry. And then um, a few months later, he called me and said, you know, I'm doing a film in Hawaii and we really need an actor. And I think you'd be great for the part. Do you want to come and hang out in Hawaii for, you know, two weeks and we can film this movie and it, it would be really fun. I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so I went down to Hawaii and his partner, his phone partner with Kevin Wu, or most people know him as Kev Jumba, and he was a popular YouTuber at the time. So um, I played his sister and we met on the film and then we came back to LA. I said, Sam, you know, you should be in my YouTube video and you should make your own YouTube channel because I think that you have a lot to say and a lot of people, especially the adoption community, you know, that you represent so hard would, would relate to you. So I was like, oh, okay, sure. So I did his YouTube video and um, that's the video that my sister ended up seeing and contacting me about. So it, it was, that movie had a lot, to do with uh, my journey and, and reuniting with my sister. So that wow. was a pretty, pretty do, important moment in my life. <laughs> do you have any advice for people who are just starting off within this space as far as, you know, anything that they should be aware of or any tips or tricks that you can share with them? You mean in the entertainment industry? Yes. I think the most important thing or a tip I would give in the entertainment industry is it sounds so cliche but just keep going because you never know where anything is going to take you or what it can lead to for me this job which is really exciting as an actor but um you know, it could have just been a little spot in a movie, but it ended up changing my life forever. So <laughs> even though, you know, day, day to day, it can seem really daunting and like you're always going in and never getting anything. But one day you will get something and it can have a really big impact on not only your career, but your entire life. And I mm -hmm. think you just have to keep going, even though it can seem really hard. I know that's cliche, but <laughs> it's a really it's big impact. The real life, as real as it gets. And there's so many days where I feel really disheartened. I'm like, I'm never going to get another job again. Or, you know, thinking this is really hard. Why am I still doing this? Am I just chasing a dream? But then there's other people that continue to inspire. Say, no, just keep going. Keep trying. If you're passionate about something, if you really want to make something happen, you will. Just keep going. And, so, you know, it's so hard to see the end goal because we're so in it every day. And you're just thinking about whatever you want to do. But if you love that, then... You have to keep trying. It's funny that you say that because yeah, I, I've definitely had similar thoughts right when, um, actually a little bit before we started Overcoming Odds, especially in the early moments, you know, it, it, it's hard. When you start anything off the ground, the results are not there. And in some cases, the results won't be there years down the road. So, you know, you've got to, you said, am I chasing a dream that's, is it just a dream? Is it all yeah. it is? And that's, that's, I felt the same way. And I was fortunate enough, just like yourself, to find people and mentors along the way that said, hey, you, you know, if you're passionate about, if this is what drives you, you got to do it because nothing else will. And it's, it's one thing, I think, to fall back on a job that, you know, you may not like, but just doing something that you can wake up to every morning and say, I love this. I think that's so important even if it may not generate, you know, tons of money or give you the luxury, luxurious lifestyle. Um, I, I still think going with what inside of you is more important than anything. I agree. And I'm glad you're reminding me of it again today. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you fuel your passion? What keeps you going? I don't know what keeps me going especially during hard times you know it sounds like you guys 
face a lot of rejection and other challenges along the way. So whenever you hit obstacles, what what do you either say to yourself or what do you look for? What do you turn to that allows you to refuel yourself again? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is is to recognize if I'm feeling poorly about about a day or, or if I did just face a big rejection or I got super close to a job and then I didn't end up getting it, I have to allow myself to feel sad. I think it's okay to feel sad for for that time and then I can I don't know, generate that and be like, okay, I'm sad today because that sucks and that sucked today. And, but tomorrow will be better. And I know that if I keep going and I keep trying and I really want something, that something will happen. But then I, to be honest, I think what really keeps me going is knowing that I wouldn't be happy doing anything else <laughs> in the world. I mean, I really wouldn't. And I, I tried that. I, I had a job recently that I was just doing stuff for because I was semi good at it and it paid well, but I wasn't happy. And now I'm finally back. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this because this is the only thing that's going to make me happy. <laughs> even more so, I think it's the people that I talk to and I surround myself with. My friends like Jenna, you know, I, I call her and I'm like, should I keep doing this? And she's like, yes, you have to keep doing it. You love it. And, and my boyfriend, he's like, you know, this makes you happy. You wouldn't be happy doing anything else. You'd be so sad and you'd have money, but who cares? That doesn't make a difference, you know? And, and I think it's really the people surrounding me reminding me that of, of that. I think at the moment, at this very moment, that's what keeps me going. But I need them. I need that support system to to keep mm -hmm. on trying because it is hard. It, it sucks when every day they're like, we liked you, but we like, you know, it sounds like they're saying, well, we like this person better, even though that's not the case. That's what it feels like, you know? Mm -hmm. So it is hard, but just knowing that, you know, wouldn't be happy doing anything else. And then when, you know, when people reach out to you or after this documentary, for instance, people are reaching out to us all the time and, and that made me feel good. Like I was actually making a difference and I found other people that I could connect to and they could connect to our story and it changed their perspective or made them happy. And I think, I don't know, maybe that's the key is that we really can make a difference. And if we keep going and keep working towards our so-called dream that one day it'll make a difference and have a positive impact on people around us and even people across the world that we've never even met. Mm -hmm. How were you able to develop this sense of um, self-confidence? Because, you know, I, I know, of, and I'm sure you do too, of so many people who are working jobs that either they don't like or know that won't contribute towards a larger goal, but they're afraid to, you know, go out there and quit that job and start full-time pursuing what it is they want to do. Do you have anything that you've learned along the way that can make that process a little bit easier? Or easier may not be the right word, but um, intimidating? You know, I would just say to them, are you going to spend your whole life wishing you did something? Or try you should try you can always go back to that job that you don't really like and that you're good mm -hmm. at. but if you lived your whole life saying what if i would have done this what if i would have done that 
you might as well just go out and do it and and try. And it's okay to fail. I failed so many times. I fail every day, <laughs> every single day. I we fail. still do. Yeah. Yeah. Every day I fail. I mean, I've I walked into auditions. I forgot my lines in front of everybody, and I failed that day. <laughs> um, you know, it, it happens all the time, but but that's okay. We'll never overcome anything if we don't allow ourselves to fail too. So, I think. Um, even now, you know, I quit my job. I just got a restaurant job. I said, forget it. I'm going back. I'm going to do what I love to do. And I'm so much happier every single day I wake up. I said, okay, it was something. Now I'm finally working for something that I really care about, that I really think will make an impact, that I really want to do. So I think, um, I don't know. I think it's okay to fail. And I think we just have to keep going because you never want to say, what if, what if I could have done that? What if I could have done this? Just live in regrets, yeah. No, I, com- yeah. I completely agree with you. I, th- I, I think failure is necessary. I think we, we need to fail in order to learn and move forward, which brings me to the next point of overcoming challenges. And I want to, could you take us through a time or two of when you had to overcome a big challenge and how you did that? Hmm. I'm sure, you know, there are multiple ones that happen every day, but is there one that stands out to you the most? Big challenge. I feel like everything's a challenge. No, I don't. I don't. I'm kidding. Um, But (laughs) I'm trying to think of something in particular. I have a recent one, but I can't really share it. (laughs) no i'm trying to think harder um i think a challenge there's a challenge for me when i was uh, a bit younger actually in acting and um i was reading for or i was reading scripts and i had i guess a pretty good shot before i even auditioned for it and it was um a film with potential to go to series after that but it was a role where it was an Asian American young lady and she spoke three languages, was trying to learn her fourth, played the piano, did this, did that, was always working really, really hard. And, you know, it seemed to me that it was very, um, I don't want to, be mean but it it was you know it was like someone's stereotypical vision of an Asian American young woman and I was slightly offended by it but I and and you know it's hard when you know you have a good chance at something you really want to get a job but I I passed on it and that was like a moment for me I think even just crossing into adulthood and saying I can say no to this I don't have to just go out and and do everything that they send me Mm -hmm. and I said you know I don't I'm I'm offended by this role I don't think that it's a good representation of Asian American females and I think it's very stereotypical and I don't want to represent that I don't want to represent that at all and that was a challenge for me to say like oh I'm worthy enough to pass up a job that could potentially be huge and I could you know have my face on everything and have like a doll made of me something like that but I decided to say no I'm I'm not going to do this and you know I was 18 19 and all of that seems really exciting then but that that was a big challenge for me to say no on that um I think that was that was in in terms of acting I think that was one of my bigger challenges or or something that just you know Mm -hmm. 
I remember. It's good that yeah. you mentioned that we've had a couple of people, even on this podcast, Jenna was one of them, when they mentioned, you know, stereotypes being a huge thing in acting, especially. And, you know, I, I'm I'm not in acting, so I wouldn't know. So that's why I was I was just wondering how you guys deal with moments like that. Sounds like on your end, you know, whenever something like that happens, you turn it down, but then also t explain why you turned it down. Um, yeah. For other, I'm assuming that's going to be the route that you recommend for other people who are put into roles like that. I mean, yeah, I think everyone in general, um, but yeah, for for. As, as actors, I think it's important to represent what you believe in and to take projects that are meaningful. Because, I mean, for me, it's not about going up there and seeing my face on everything and having a lot of money and flying in private jets. If it was, I probably still wouldn't be doing this because it's never happened. So I think, but then seeing that you can do projects that have meaning and that really affect people and get them thinking about other things and, and get them thinking about topics, um, about life, about race, about how we feel about Asian American representation, you know, those are things about, for me, and it's and about adoption even, you know, there's been so many great movies about adoption as well. And, and if I can be a part of a project like that, that's really going to change our thought and be able to in, invoke conversation that's important. You have to do something that you love and that you care about. And as actors, it's hard because, you know, like, I need a job. I need to do this. I, what if I can't pay my rent? You know, all, the, all, all of the thoughts. Or what if this was my big break and I didn't take it? Um, you know, all of those things that, that's hard to think about and digest. But it's important to stay strong. And not just for actors, but in anything that you do. If you work in an office and you have to do a job that you don't like or it makes someone else feel really poorly you have to stand up for yourself and you have to be able to um represent what you believe in hmm. i want to take it back to uh, mentorships because it sounds like you've had some mentors throughout your life that have helped you get to where you are today in your eyes what defines a great mentor hmm. i think I think a great mentor doesn't have all the answers. I think a great mentor can help you find the answers for yourself, but doesn't necessarily give them all to you. And I think that because a lot of the people that I've talked to, especially, you know, as an adoptee as well, they say, you know, I, my experience is different than yours, but this is how I felt, but this is how other people feel. And you're welcome to come up with your own feeling as well. You have a right to feel how you want to feel. And so, you know, they can help guide you to figure out what things mean. And I think for me, that's been the greatest, the greatest mentorship for people to just come say and say, no, this is not how it is. Mm -hmm. This is not mm -hmm. what it's going to be like. That's that's shutting down. You know, that's closing off. That's closing off parts of, of life. Possibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly, exactly. So I think um, the greatest mentor doesn't have all the answers, but they can help you find them. Can you give us an example of someone in your life that fulfills that role? 
I think it goes back to one of my college professors. Um, she was pretty amazing. She studies her 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 focus is physical acting, and she was always really strong. Wasn't afraid to tell you when you were getting in your own way. And in college, you know, she told me, "Sam, you're a perfectionist." And I said, "Yes." <laughs> she said getting in your way and I was like shoot <laughs> you're right you're right she's like you're not you're not allowing yourself to to fail right and what we were talking about before and she's like so keep keep your mind open not everything has to be perfect and I was like you're right and I remind myself of that all the time every day even when I'm doing the dishes I'm like the dishes don't have to be perfect you know <laughs> whatever it is um but that was one of the uh, that relationship was really, really great because she was always guiding me, giving me advice, but letting me figure it out on my own as well. And I think even just in scene work and acting work, just every day in class, it was these tiny little things. Every day she'd give me one little thing, whether she came and touched my back and it changed my whole posture, it changed this whole character, it changed my whole perspective on everything. I mean, that that was a really, really great mentor. And I, I think about her all the time, and I know that if I went back and had something, she would be there for me too. And I loved that. I really did. It's funny that you say that. I had, um, I guess you could say it's a problem, <laughs> a similar thing, you know, where, where I used to think uh, in the past that everything had to be perfect and there was no room for error. Um, right. And then what I've learned along the way is that, just like you said, you have to fail to learn because, you know, I would hit these roadblocks. And then I would backtrack and try and figure out, okay, why did that happen? And it's because I didn't um, pursue certain things. I would just kind of, it, it's almost like being stubborn, I think. Yeah. You just go after it with the same techniques, the same methodology, and you know you hope the results come out. And oftentimes they don't. And then you end up going back throughout the experience and trying to figure out, okay, what did I do wrong versus kind of going the other way and you just letting certain things go on its own, almost like going with the flow sounds like, right? Yeah. Yeah. A hmm. um, couple final thoughts for today's episode. When odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? I think my biggest one is you never know. <laughs> That's my, my biggest one is you never know. Even, I mean, for me as an actor, when I go in the room and I know I'm not right for this, they're looking for someone who is appears way older than I am and isn't by physicality or anything. And everyone, you know, my manager who passed away actually um, about a year ago, she would always say, Sam, you never know. And I'm like, you're right. So go in and do my best and do what I I need to do. And it's true. I never know. Maybe I am what they're looking for. They just didn't know too. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. that's my, my biggest one is you never know. And then I'm trying to think of other ones. When I'm overcoming odds. I'm trying to bet. I'm trying. Sorry. I'm trying to better understand that on my end. How are you able to go with something like that in your mind that you never know part 
because it's not you, you know you literally never know so it's like it it's hard to fall back on how are right. you able how are you able to do that it's hard i mean it is hard but it it's just knowing that if i don't try my hardest and i don't put everything that I have into something, then why should someone else put what they have and believe in me? So I have to keep going and I have to keep trying as hard as I can too. And then one day, hopefully we'll find each other. But that is hard. Yeah. I guess from my perspective, when someone says, Sam, you never know. I say, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go on. I'm going to do my best and hopefully I can make a difference one day, right? If I do my mm-hmm. best and I do what I believe in, if I try my hardest, um, I can make a difference and maybe surprise somebody along the way. Um, but that's one of my things. I, I think also when this might seem funny, but you know, when I'm, I surf, I started surfing three years ago and some of the most impossible things is when it's a really big day. <laughs> it's really big surfing and right now it's cold and sometimes it's cloudy and not very inviting. And I have people, you know, my, my boyfriend and my friend are like, Sam, you can do this. And I'm like, it looks like I really <laughs> cannot do this today, mm-hmm. but know that I've practice so many times I've trained I do my breath holds I know where to be I know where not to be I know what to do when I'm in the wrong place and I know how to keep myself safe and I I just take a deep breath and say I want to do this I can do this and I can do it today and I'll just try um what made you want to surf in the first place it just looked really fun. <laughs> it does. Is, is, is the easiest answer. But um, also, too, it's just it's always fun to try something that you've never done and see if you enjoy it and see if you're good at it. And it turned out I really enjoyed it. I'm not necessarily good at it, but <laughs> I really enjoy it. With time, you will be. Yeah. And, and, you know, the best part about surfing is it's ever changing every day. You can go to the same surf break every single day and it'll be a different wave every day because the weather's never the same. The wind's not the same. The swell's not the same. Everything, everything changes every day. So you can, you can do it every day of your life and you'll never be a master at it. And, and I kind of love that. It's always challenging and it's always changing and I don't know. It's silly, but it's a good reminder for life too. Nothing's ever the same. Every day is different. There's always challenges and there's always things to get over. But as long as you're having a good time, and you're enjoying it, you're safe. Then I think um, physically safe. I mean, mm-hmm. mentally, sometimes you have to push yourself <laughs> and get out of the safety zone. But as long as you're not going to hurt somebody or hurt yourself, then I think it's a good place to be. That's good. Do you, do you have any final thoughts, final takeaways for any of our listeners who are um, exploring either, like you said, becoming actors? I know you mentioned a lot um, for them. You know, one of them sounds like be adaptable to change, um, live outside of your comfort zone. Anything else that you would recommend for them? I mean, I, I think... The main thing that I would tell someone, as an actor, as a filmmaker as well, if you want to produce, direct, write, I think one of the most important things is is just represent what you believe in. 
say your thoughts and get your message across because what you everyone has their own story and everyone's story is meaningful just because someone pays attention to someone else's first doesn't mean that yours isn't worth hearing about or isn't going to affect someone else so keep believing that if you i think if you really believe in what you have to say then it's worth saying and it's worth having someone else hear about so never give up keep going and keep knowing that you have you have something that someone else is going to relate to and believe in as well, um, especially as filmmakers, especially as an Asian American filmmaker. I think it's really important to get our voices heard. I know that's the hot topic of the moment and 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 across um, all all careers really, but I think it's important to get your voice heard no matter what. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. As Sam had mentioned, you have to represent what you believe in. Focus your efforts on contributing to meaningful societal conversations. Stay tuned as we will soon be releasing details regarding our upcoming event, Hear Me Now, an opportunity for you to connect with hundreds of adoptees and foster care youth who have all experienced their own version of your current or past struggles. Once again, thank you all for listening to today's episode. We hope you have a fantastic day. Till next time.